Hey, we're completing our series through the book of Ruth this morning, and the uh, whole book has basically been culminating to this point where uh, Ruth and Boaz get together and have a baby, and our passage is um, sort of the culmination of the whole story, and one of the beautiful things about how this book ends, it's, it ends in a very genius way. It's been about like entrenched in these three individual lives, and then it zooms way out uh, through giving us a genealogy. And we'll kind of talk about why that's the purpose and what that means uh, throughout the sermon today as we uh, bring this book to a close. And so this is God's word to you this morning. It says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and she became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then to reiterate how important that last little phrase is, they give a fuller genealogy. It says, Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Ovid. Ovid fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So um, we're going to spend some moments in silence before we... Uh, look at the text further, and what we're doing in this particular moment of silence this Sunday is asking God to help our hearts long for heaven, um, long for the world beyond this one, long for uh, the, the realm where God and people dwell at peace with one another. Um, and so let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this story and that each season and moment of our lives has a particular uh, point to it and a particular way in which you will weave it into the tapestry of the story of the whole world, which is that you are redeeming everything. You're restoring everything. You're filling everything back up that was empty, and you're doing it in a way that's beyond our comprehension in the present moment. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us as one writer said, windows of your grace right now that you would open up to us, even uh, in our brains and in our hearts, the ability, the capacity uh, to long for the world beyond this one. And to know that even the things that we experience, the blessings and the griefs in this world are all meant to point us to you and to be at one with you, uh, to know you, to have eternal life. And so would you do that this morning in Christ's name? Amen. Um, when I was graduating from seminary, seminary is a Bible school where you study the Bible in great depth. 
I did it for five. It took me five years to graduate. And the week before I received my diploma, one of my professors sat me down for lunch, and he said, well, how are you feeling about, you know, this being such a long journey, and it's now coming to a close? And I said, I was like, you know, I, I thought I was going to feel a little bit happier, like, like I had accomplished something a little, bit, a little bit more relief. And to be honest, I feel a little bit disappointed and sad. And he just looked at me and said, ah, oh, yes. I, I remember feeling that when I, when I graduated seminary. And what I learned in that moment is something that I would learn perpetually throughout the course of my life, especially when you reach a goal or you uh, do some sort of accomplishment that you've been working towards for a long time, which is that in the midst of the accomplishments that you accrue, even when life is great, there still is an emptiness I would even call it uh, somewhat of an ache, a longing that doesn't quite get satisfied. And it's more than saying, uh, you know, the heart is never satisfied with the things in this world. Like, that's true, but this was something a little bit more peculiar, and I think something of God. It was, it was not originated in sort of sin. And it's part of what I believe this passage is pointing us to, Naomi If you remember, Naomi, this story is really about Naomi, but it's named Ruth. And Naomi left Bethlehem, the house of bread, to go to Moab because she was afraid that their family was going to die because there was no food. uh, There was a famine in the land. And when she left and went to Moab, she lost her husband and her two boys And then she comes back to Bethlehem, and I don't know if you remember what she says when she comes back into Bethlehem, but she said, I went away full, and I'm coming back into Bethlehem empty. And that's what this story has been about. It's been about how God is going to restore her fullness. And what's so amazing about this passage is that she is blessed again with fullness that she would not not even have been able to comprehend. Um, It it literally says that Ruth was better to her than seven sons, which we'll talk about what that means here in a second. But I want you to imagine uh, in your own life, but also through the lens of Naomi's life, she got everything she could possibly want. Like her life was broken and empty, and then everything got restored. Her home was full. Her future was full. Her finances were full. Her lap is full. Of a, grand, of a grandbaby. And I think the point of the author giving us a genealogy outside of Naomi and Ruth is to actually entice our hearts as the readers to, to get us to long for something that's actually better than happily ever after. And I know this is, this is hard to wrap our brains around, but there's something even more full than attaining the things that we long for in this life and the things that we need. There's restoration that we all need in this room. There are things that need to get mended. And what this passage is saying is that even if everything in your life turned out better than you could even expect, there's something more. There's something more. And what we learn here today in the final genealogy at the end of Ruth is that there, there are things beyond the blessings as well. 
That's what the author is doing. We've, uh, we've been sort of entrenched in the tiny, minute details of these three individual lives. And after this baby arrives, which is what the whole story has been pointing towards, it's like the camera zooms way out and says, now I want you to glimpse, dear reader, I want you to glimpse the vantage point of God himself over these lives. And I want you to look at it. I want you to look at what God was actually doing way behind the scenes in the life of Ruth and Naomi. And it's giving us a picture of heaven. Now, um, I've been dwelling on this. I've been wanting to talk about this since I started the, uh, the book of Ruth. And it's an image I want to share with you. You guys are familiar with snow globes, right? You know, those little things we used to have when we were kids. Um, I want you to imagine your life as a snow globe. Like if you could zoom out of your existence right now and see yourself and your whole life is contained right there, all the joys and all the blessings, all the pains, all of it, and then you begin to desire from the outside to communicate to yourself in the snow globe from the vantage point of being outside of it. And you wanted, you wanted to say, like, hey, look, everything that you're experiencing in there, the, the joys, the griefs, the pain, the death, the, the births, all of it is real. It is real. The fullness that you felt, the redemption that you, you, have, you have is, is real. And that provided contentment in, in moments and in seasons in your life. But there is something far beyond what you're experiencing in another world. Now, if you could communicate to yourself and leave clues to that other world, that is the function of the Bible. This is the conduit by which you are, uh, God is revealing to you that you were actually, like the globe is real, but you were made for something far beyond what you can ever, ever imagine. That is the function of this genealogy. I know we always skip over genealogies because they're boring. I mean, let's be straight, right? Like, who cares about all these names? The reason why it's important is because you're connected to a community that transcends time and space. That exists in the other world. This is what the author is doing as we see the image of this baby in the lap of Naomi. And just imagine what she's, you know, she's smiling. She's happy. This Redeemer baby, that is, it says in the text that this baby is the restorer of life to Naomi, which came through Ruth, who loved her so much. And the women of the community and all the commentators say that this is atypical for women in the community to name children. But there they are, and they say his name is Ovid. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And if that were not enough, the author gives a fuller genealogy so that we get the right idea of exactly what's going on here, which is that Naomi's life, her script has totally flipped, and it's good now. It's full. Verse 15, Ruth was better than seven sons to Naomi. That is the connotation of the most complete and perfect life. If you could like wave a wand and snap your fingers and make your life 
perfect in the way that you imagine it to be right now. What this text is saying is that Ruth is better than that for Naomi. And what the genealogy is saying is that there's something even better than that. And it's what God is doing. His purposes in your life, in the life of Ruth and Naomi as well. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that the pain and the joy of what Naomi has been through is completely done away with. Rather, it, it's redeemed. It's full now. It's, in some sense, it's mended or how the scriptures talk about it is that your, your suffering has been glorified. And I really do think that that's what we want when it comes to our suffering. We, want, we don't want God to just take it away. What we want is for it to have meant something. And that's what God does. He consecrates it and he makes it what's called holy. And holiness means he brings it near to him and he makes it beautiful. He makes it eternal. Y'all, the reason why the Grand Canyon is so otherworldly and amazing is because of the immense pressure and trauma that the water caused. And while it was happening, it was, it was terrible for the canyon. But the aftermath is something that we could never have imagined, the beauty of it. And, you know, there, there's no replacement. You think about Naomi. She lost her husband. And then she lost her boys. Like, if you guys, some of you have experienced that in this room. Like, there's no replacing that. There's no, there's no way that, like, that just goes away. And that's true, but simultaneous to that truth, what, what this story is teaching us is that God is weaving something into the world, carving something into the world that we literally can't comprehend from the vantage point of our present lives. But he's doing it. And that's because, as Isaiah says, like his ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't get there. And the author in this la- these last three verses, what, what the author is saying is like, look now, God, God's doing something. Your ways in your life, they had their place, and God was kind in the good and the bad, but there's something greater still. And in our text, this is the bridge by which, you know, the nation of Israel is going from complete impoverishment and anarchy to the greatest monarchy that had existed in humankind up to that point. This is humanity's entry into what's called the Iron Age, the Age of Kings. And if that wasn't enough, Matthew, the book of Matthew, picks Ruth up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself and makes the point that Ruth was a part of the kingdom of this other world coming into earth through Jesus Christ to show that, you know, we are a part of this uh, whole people this great cloud of witnesses that teach us what it's like to live in nearness to God and to long for the transcendent world. And that's why we call Scripture holy, because it's from God through human beings. And it communicates what a world in constant nearness to God is like. And it was all pointing to God's ultimate plan to enter that snow globe himself 
but the gospel of Scripture is always, always worked out in relationships. That's how we know that this is all true. And this is where, you know, you can hear, you can hear a million different sermons about suffering and forgiveness, but it's not going to make sense to your heart. It's not actually going to be real to you unless you experience that with actual people. That you can't actually be told this. And the reason why is because we're not brains walking around. We actually have hearts, and hearts get affected. Scripture gets through to our hearts in our relationships, just like in Ruth and Naomi. Ruth uh, came to God through Naomi, and Naomi stayed with God through Ruth. And God was using both of them, weaving their stories together to bring both of them and keep them near himself to make them holy. And here's how it played out with them and how it typically plays out with us. Um, And this is where we are involved in one another's lives. This is the work of the church in and among the people of God. We help each other turn towards God. For the first time and then for the thousandth time. That's our role. And that's where ultimate fullness is found in the presence of God, both for the insider and the outsider. Now, this is, this is how that happens. The moment you let go of life in the way that you think it should be lived, and the, the moment you let go of perceiving of God in the way that you think he should operate in your life, and let's be honest, most of us live our lives. These are the things that, that drive us. We, we try to stay away from pain, and we try to hold on to comfort and pleasure. And those two very strong forces sort of drive how we live our lives. And what God does, and you see it in Ruth, as Ruth comes into Naomi's life, Naomi learns this important lesson. Her desires were actually too small for what God wanted to do with her. Her desires were within the globe. And the moment, the moment you let go of insisting that God do what you want him to do is the moment that you see him doing and able to do far more. It's almost like your eyes open up, the eyes of faith. And this is how, this is how the gospel community can change human beings. We help each other begin to release what we think is best for us. Did you know that's part of your role here among each other? That you look at somebody who's entrenched in the details of this life, and what you see is them in eternity. And you help them see that perspective on their life. And you say, I see Christ in you. And I know this is hard. I know this is joyful, but there's more. And both the blessings and the grief, what you long for each other about is is eternal life. That's, you know, there's a lot of talk about uh, new neural pathways that your brain needs to form in order to be resilient. And if you believed in another world, the one that, that's eternal, even, even the bare hope of that creates 
pathways in your brain filled by the Holy Spirit that says that's where you belong. And it not only makes human beings resilient, it makes us eternal. And the reason why is, if you just think, like, God is far better (laughs) than our brain and heart can take in. Just think about, if you tried to communicate to Ruth and Naomi, hey, um, Jesus Christ is going to come through y'all. Jesus Christ is God, you know. All they wanted was to survive. And that's, that's the hope of the Christian church, is that God comes into the world by his Holy Spirit and transforms everything. And all we want is like a good retirement, you know, <laughs> or not to feel pain, or to hold on to some comfort that we, you know, my, my precious, you know, whatever that is for you, whether it's a, a tenderloin or beer or Diet Pepsi or, you know, cigarettes. Um, we, we try to cling to things. And what God, God wants to show you is like, I have so much more. I have so much more for you. And I want to show you how this works out in, in your life, practically speaking. Because if this is your perspective, if you have the eternal perspective, what happens is that grief doesn't crush you. But I think even more is that blessings, uh, you don't trust in blessings either, ultimately. This is what Paul means when he's like, I know how to be brought low, but I also know how to abound. That's sometimes the hard part, to abound. This is what I was feeling when I was, gra- when I was graduating seminary, that one of the highest blessings up to that point in my life, and yet I was still, there was this ache in me, and that's because it was housed within the snow globe. It was housed in something that actually can't speak in the deepest way to my heart. And the reason why is because God won't let us settle for the blessings. Because we were made for the blesser. He gives it to us so we'll get to him. This, per- this perspective, it does help you face the disappointments and the suffering in your life. In many ways, suffering can... Uh, can help the human heart long for the other world more because things, when they're broken, it just, it just hurts too, too much. And so it helps you gain a, a, an awareness and a longing for something that's, that's different. I spoke with a woman about a year ago in another state. She had just lost her husband a year prior to, to suicide. And I was eating at a, a chicken sandwich shop with her. And I was like, uh, how are you doing? Like, how's, how's it going? And she said, you know, I, before, before my husband died, I've, I found it hard to be present in the moment. But since his death, I do find it easier to be thankful for the things that are present to me in this given moment. But I know that they're not going to last. And she was uh, holding up her chicken sandwich. And she said, like this chicken sandwich here. She's like, it's very delicious. But I know that it may not be here tomorrow but I'm happy that it's here today, and so I'll enjoy it. And I think that's the speech of somebody who is in the world, but not of it. That she knows it's, I mean, it's real, but it, it's, it's transient. It's not eternal. And that's what the genealogy of Ruth is about. It like zooms out and says, there's so much more. There's so much more, Naomi. There's so much more, Ruth. 
is saying God is far beyond our comprehension, far beyond what you can imagine, but he's also far closer than you could believe. Um, during COVID, the early months of COVID, when uh, everyone was sort of in an upheaval, is very chaotic, uh, not just locally, but nationally. You guys remember. Um, and I was mowing my yard, and I accidentally hit an ant hill, and it was one of those big ones, you know? And there's like all these ants just kind of everywhere, like crawling over and just, just, just total chaos. And I was like, man, that's a lot like us right now, just like human beings, not knowing what to do. And uh, my next thought, I don't know if it was a divine thought, um, but my next thought was, you give yourself far too much credit. You give human beings far too much credit. And the distance between a human being and an ant is far too generous of a view of humanity when it comes to the distance between God and humankind. And what this author is saying is that God is so far above, so high, so transcendent, that we literally can't possibly comprehend what he's doing in the present moment. Yet he loves us so much that he wants to be near us, and he traveled a further distance of humiliation compared to a human being becoming an ant. The distance between God and humankind is so vast that we cannot bridge it to even interpret what's happening. And we cannot measure the amount of sacrifice and love that he's poured out of himself. But he is pleased to make himself known through a covenant, through relationship. Which we see an example of that in these tiny little, uh, this tiny little story here with these three people, Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth. But y'all, he does the same thing in your life over and over and over and over again. He's constantly doing it. He's constantly bringing you to the brink of yourself by overflowing you with blessing or, or letting you go through grief. But it's all to get you to himself. That's what this story is ultimately about. And the great drama of all of our lives is just one tiny piece of it all. It's a mosaic. You know what a mosaic is, right? The joys and the pains, but the ways in which God makes us full is not the end. And I know this is kind of hard to, to say in some sense and hard to comprehend, but like redemption is not the end. Your salvation is not the end. Getting healing is not the end. Getting the thing that you need is not the end. What the end is, is for you to be with God and enjoy Him. For Him to draw you to Himself, and, and that's where your soul will find rest. That even beyond the blessings, and, and you guys need to think about this right now, um, you, you may just want your marriage to get better. That's all you want. You just want it to get better. You, you, want, you want a clear diagnosis. You want your child to be free from addiction. You yourself want to be free from addiction. You just want, you just want to not be in debt. And God looks at you in the midst of that and says, through the face of Jesus Christ, behind it all, behind all the possible good that you desire, is God's heart for you. 
And that in that space where you long for something to get better, God is there. And God wants to draw you to himself in that space. God is saying, I will come all the way to you so that you will know that the other world is where God and people dwell in peace. And when your end goal is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, you can look beyond the suffering, but you can also look beyond the blessings because the blessings are mere conduits of the blesser from whom all blessings flow. This is why, um, you know, we love art. We love beauty. You could think of these things as like little uh, rays of heaven that come through in our little snow globe sometime. And we're like, oh, that's, that seems otherworldly. Um, mountains, beach, the smell of an infant, you know, the empathy of a friend. The reason why those things speak to our hearts is because our souls are God-shaped. And as Acts 17.27 says, that we grope our way towards him through these things. In John 13, you get this picture of the Apostle John laying on the, on the chest of Jesus. And I think the reason why it's, it's showing us a picture of what it's like when human beings and God are at peace with one another again. It's what we had in the garden and what we lost and what we get again in the face of Jesus Christ. And that somehow that whole story is more beautiful than if nothing had never gone wrong to begin with. Meaning, don't throw away the hard stuff. Don't try to escape it too quick. And know that God's at work in it. Doing something that we, really, we, we cannot understand from this vantage point. But one day, maybe we will. So in here, the, the fullness that Naomi received through the, through the redemption of her life, it pointed to the way in which God was going to redeem Israel. That's its function in the Old Testament. But that pointed to the eternal life that God would open up to everyone who would embrace the true King, Jesus Christ. And that it's all a part of the same thing. Um, and it's for you if you want it. That's eternal life, to know God. That's what the kids learned this week at VBS. And that is something that we never really get over, even into eternity. So let's pray. We, uh, um, we're going to be in Jonah and then in Esther starting in the fall. So that's the plan. That's the sermon series plan. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful book. And the reason why it's wonderful is because you're wonderful, Lord, and that our souls are longing for you. And so, Lord, help us to uh, do all the things that, that Boaz and Ruth and Naomi did. But more than that, Lord, uh, cover us with your wings. Cover us um, with the corner of your garment and cover us with that eternal perspective that each individual life in this room is a part of the great tapestry of your, your goodness and your glory and the purposes by which you draw all things to yourself, that you are pulling all things into union with how you want them to be. And so would we be a part of that today? In Christ's name, amen.